Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips Peace in Our Time by Una McCormack Read by Peter Purvis Ruby Watkins had only been in service at the Gled Hills for a month or so, but if she didn't know better, she'd have thought they were bohemians or socialists or something of that sort. All kinds of odd things went on around here, she thought, as she trotted from the kitchen to the dining room, carrying the evening's dessert of cherry pie on a fine silver platter. And the worst thing of all was that they only kept one servant, Ruby herself, Surely a man like the master could afford more, given his fancy job. Ruby was kept rushed off her feet. Still, the money was a marvel. Thirty pounds a year, and you didn't turn your nose up at that. Slowing her pace, she entered the dining room with great decorum. Conversation stopped. She sliced the pie in silence, then moved soft-footedly round the table, placing dishes in front of each of the family members. The master the mistress, and their daughter, young Miss Elizabeth. Ruby had barely had a chance to go round and pour out the cream before the blessed doorbell rang. At the sound of the bell, the three of them froze. Now, here was one of those things that just wasn't right. They sat there, stock still, spoon halfway to Miss Elizabeth's mouth, napkin held against the master's mouth, and the mistress clutching her wine glass. Looked like statues. Gave you the creeps. Then, like clockwork, they all carried on. Ruby, said the master, calmly and politely, whoever this is, could you send them away? He smiled at his wife and daughter. I'm enjoying a quiet family dinner. Ruby bobbed a curtsy and slipped from the room. She hurried along the hallway, tweaking her hair and her cap, and hoping there were no splashes and stains on her apron. A house like this, there should be footmen at dinner, a butler to answer the door, not someone like her. But there was nobody else, so she opened the door to the cold January night. On the steps stood a tall and handsome young man, dark hair slicked back, wearing a very proper suit. He gave Ruby a friendly smile, and she smiled back. He looked ever so nice. Beside him, huddled inside a big black coat and peering at her with sharp eyes from beneath his hat, was an old man. "'Yes, sirs,' said Ruby. "'Can I help you?' The young man spoke first. "'My name's Taylor. I'm Mr. Gledhill's junior at the Admiralty.' Well, what was he doing here, then? Interrupting dinner? Should know better. And you, sir, said Ruby to the old man. Ah, said the old man. I uh, am the doctor, Ruby blinked. No one's called for a doctor, sir. The old man smiled. Uh, indeed, no, and uh, yet here I am. <laughs> 
Can we come in? said Taylor. I'm afraid the family's having dinner, sir. Ruby began to close the door. Taylor shoved his foot unceremoniously in the way. And I'm very sorry to interrupt, said Taylor, but I really do have to see Mr. Gledhill. He gave her that nice smile again. Ruby blushed. I'm not sure if I ought. It is rather urgent, said Taylor. Government business. I think he'd be disappointed if you sent me away. Between the smile and the fact that it wasn't her place to stop important business, Ruby let them in. She showed them into the drawing room and then trotted off to the dining room where the family had finished their dessert and now were picking at the fruit and nuts. Sir, I hope you don't mind, sir, she whispered, but it's Mr Taylor from your office. Says it's urgent. I took him to the drawing room, sir. I hope that's acceptable. Gledhill nodded and rose from his chair, and then again another of those not-right things happened. The mistress and Miss Elizabeth got up and followed him to the drawing-room. Well, Ruby wasn't the kind to think that women couldn't think for themselves, but it was hardly usual, was it? If Mr Taylor and this doctor were here on office business, why were the mistress and the young lady allowed in the room, never mind Ruby herself? But nobody seemed to be bothered. Taylor launched straight into his tail, and Ruby was still busy gathering hats and coats, so she couldn't exactly miss that he was ever so upset about some missing papers. Eyes down, she slipped silently from the room, and she stood outside, ear pressed to the closed door. Yes, some papers. Important, too. The Dreadnought Well, even Ruby had heard of that the big warship that was going to keep Britannia ruling the waves. If the design plans fall into other hands, Taylor said, it's a matter of great significance. He was cut off. Ruby, guessing the conversation was coming to a close, darted down the hallway, where she stood fiddling with the flowers while Taylor and the doctor came out, the master all but pushing them out of the drawing room. She dashed to retrieve hats and coats and stood by the front door. Don't worry, Taylor, said Gledhill cheerfully as he led them through the hall. I'm sure you simply missed them. Really, sir, I'm quite sure I haven't. Gledhill patted his arm. You work too late. Means you're not fresh. Easy to make mistakes. Overlook things. Tomorrow morning you'll find them right in front of you. Ruby handed over their coats and the master shepherded his visitors out. Really, sir, I don't think that's the case, and with the launch so close now, good night, good night, we'll speak in the morning. At the master's nod, Ruby closed the door on the odd guests. She gave a timid cough and said, Will you be wanting coffee, sir? Coffee? In the drawing room, sir? He stopped and thought. He looked for all the world like someone who was going through a list, trying to remember the right thing to do. Yes he said slowly. Coffee, yes, very nice. Thank you, Ruby. He ambled back to the drawing room. Ruby tutted to herself, more washing up. She shouldn't have mentioned it, but someone round here had to do things right.
Well, said Stephen as the door shut in his face, that wasn't part of the plan. The doctor glared at the door. Most unsatisfactory, he murmured. We've learnt precisely nothing. Stephen sighed and looked around at the damp and dreary night. What now, doctor? The doctor gestured across the street. Eh, We wait, of course, and watch. If anyone in that house knows anything about the stolen plans, they will soon move to warn their paymasters that we know about them. Stephen looked around at the gloom and the fog. Wait, out here? The doctor nodded. And that's what they did, huddling together in the darkness. After an hour or so, all the lights in the house were extinguished. Stephen shivered. Twenty minutes after that, their patience was rewarded. The front door opened, and a dark figure slipped out, closing the door softly behind them and heading off into the night. Stephen nudged the doctor, whose eyes were shut. Come on! Ruby's feet were aching by the time the family went to bed, but she wasn't done. She finished the washing up, tidied the kitchen, then did the rounds, turning down lights and locking doors and windows. She waited until the house was completely still. Then she popped on her coat and slipped out of the front door and onto the street. The night was cold. Ruby pulled her scarf tight around her neck, pushed her hat down firmly on her head, and twitched at her gloves. Then she trotted down the street. A dark figure came out suddenly from the shadows. Ruby nearly yelped, and then she recognised Taylor. The old man was behind him. Oh, whatever do you think you're doing, jumping out like that from the darkness? Ruby scolded. You gave me ever such a fright. Taylor was looking at her sternly. Where had that nice smile gone? I'm afraid this is very serious, he said. Why are you out? That's none of your business. No, said the doctor. But it will be your master's business, I imagine. What do you mean? Ruby began to feel afraid. It was ever such a well-paying job, and if you got turned off, you might not find anything again. It's against the rules for servants to be out at all hours gadding about. Not least a female servant. Huh? Who are you going to see? Hmm? Answer me, child. Well, she said, I was coming to find you two, of course. That caught them on the hop. Us, said Taylor. She leaned in so she could speak nice and low. There's something funny going on in that house, isn't there? The two men glanced at each other. What makes you say that, said Taylor? All sorts of things. And now paper's missing, you said. Well... I might just be the maid, but I'm not daft, thank you very much. And when there's a man who doesn't seem to know the first thing about how things should be done in here in England, and he's at the Admiralty, and papers go missing, well... Yes? prompted Taylor. Ruby lowered her voice. Spies. The front door opened again. All three of them pressed back into the shadows and watched Miss Elizabeth come out. Well whispered Ruby. This is exactly the kind of thing I mean. Going out at all hours, it's not right for a girl her age. 
She's only 15, and it's not as if she's mixed up with the suffragettes. She put her hand over her mouth. Sometimes she did run on. Yes, said the doctor, and how would you know that for a fact? Ruby flushed bright red. Oh, please, sir, don't tell the master. I'd lose my position. I wouldn't find work again. Please. But the doctor's eyes were twinkling. Tell your master. I shall do no such thing. But quick now, that young woman is getting away, and I believe she may hold the answer to all of our questions. He hurried down the street. Taylor, striding after him, looked back over his shoulder to where Ruby was standing stock still, her heart still pounding from having given herself away. Well, come on, said Taylor. Don't you want to find out what's going on? Ruby put her hand on her hat to stop it flying off and chased after them. They chased their quarry through the dark streets, filled with the swirling light of gas lamps. Miss Elizabeth strode on confidently, unaware of their presence, but sure of her purpose. Ruby couldn't believe her luck. Day after day, running up and down that house from top to bottom, with no one to talk to and too much to do, she'd earned a little adventure. The doctor and Taylor seemed to know their business, as if they often found themselves dashing around London in the middle of the night, chasing who knew what. Perhaps they did. Perhaps that was their real business. Not a clerk and a doctor, but men put into the Admiralty to keep watch upon her master, like one of those magazine stories Ruby's dad liked so much. Ruby caught bits of their conversation. And from it she spun a whole story about German spies and plans for warships and saving the Empire. Her head was so full of her fancies that she didn't see the little plant pot in the darkness. She tripped and fell with a bump and a crash. Well, that was the game given away. Shamefacedly, Ruby let Taylor pull her to her feet. She looked ahead. Miss Elizabeth was standing there stock still, peering back at them through the fog. Quickly, Taylor moved to stand in front of Ruby, hiding her behind him. Ruby peeped round. She saw Miss Elizabeth stare at her new friends, taking them in, Taylor, the doctor, as if memorising their faces. And then she... Well, she vanished. Ruby gawped at the place where she'd been. The doctor rubbed his hands together in glee. I think that proves one of our suspicions. Oh, my life, said Ruby. Where's she gone? Is it the fog? It's not the fog, said Taylor grimly. But people can't vanish. No, said Taylor, but they can dematerialise. He glanced down at her as if suddenly remembering who she was. Don't worry, Ruby. Well, how do I not worry, she said sharply, chasing after people in the middle of the night and the master at the Admiralty, and you two muttering things about the dreadnought. Young lady, said the doctor sternly, it's rude to eavesdrop. Yes, well, it's rude to whisper. Taylor put his hand on her arm. I think, Ruby, it would be best if you went home. Well, she knew what he was up to, putting her off. 
sending her home, and all right, she was the one who'd given them away, but it wasn't fair to bring her along and then send her back. Just uh, to be on the safe side, child, said the doctor. We could do with someone back in the house, said Taylor, keeping an eye on the others there. Oh, if I must, she said grumpily. They smiled at her, like you'd smile at a little girl, and went on their way. Ruby waited a moment or two before following them. This time, she kept her mind on her job and her eyes wide open. <laughs> the game's afoot, young Stephen, said the doctor gleefully as they hurried on. You're enjoying yourself, said Stephen. The doctor chuckled. A chase around the streets of Edwardian London is to be savoured. Stephen sighed. I hope Ruby will be safe back at the house. Ah, she'll be safe enough. Miss Elizabeth, or whoever she is, didn't see her. Well, I hope not. Soon they reached the TARDIS, waiting patiently in a quiet alley. The doctor fumbled around for the key and let them inside. I wish we hadn't lost the daughter, said Stephen ruefully as the door closed behind them. Oh, no matter. We'll find them soon enough. Now that we know that they are not from Earth, we should be able to find traces of their presence here. That uh, dematerialization device, for one. Yes, that was something of a surprise. Stephen folded his arms and watched the doctor busy himself at the console. And we thought we might be simply dealing with a German spy. That notion at least we can put to bed. Uh, but as yet, we don't know much, the doctor replied. We know that the dreadnought is due to launch in a matter of weeks. That significant papers pertaining to its design have been stolen, and that our chief suspects are making use of a dematerialization device that cannot be from this time and place. Hmm? But now our cover has been blown, said Stephen glumly. Not quite. No, said Stephen. No, these visitors, whoever they are, know that young Mr. Taylor from the Admiralty has his suspicions about one of his superiors and that he's mightily keen to retrieve some important missing papers. But what else do they know about us, hmm? Very little, I suppose, said Stephen slowly. Very little. They do not know that we are travellers in time and space. Stephen began to smile. The doctor gave his craftiest smile in return. And they most certainly do not know that we have the ability to track them. <laughs> he bent his head again over the console. Now, let us see. How might we do that? In the street outside, Ruby Watkins, who had watched eyes popping as two men went into a box barely big enough for both of them, stood and waited for them to come out again, and waited, and waited. It was morning when the Doctor and Taylor emerged once again from the TARDIS. Ruby, whose plans for her day off had most certainly not included sitting on a bench 
watching a measly old wooden box in a miserable old alley, rubbed her eyes and pulled her hat down as the two men went past. And she followed. And my, didn't the pair of them lead her a merry dance? One minute up one street, one minute down the next, and the day wearing on, and she'd not even had her breakfast. She worked out quickly that they were on some chase or other, as they'd arrive at one place, hunt around, and then dash off. It was like a treasure hunt, she thought, or one of her dad's daft stories with Mr Holmes and Dr Watson. She wished they'd stop for a minute, though. She was gasping for a cup of tea. After a couple of hours, they led Ruby down into the tube. She hung back to take the lift after them. She came out onto the platform just as the train was pulling in, and she hid in the passageway, peeping round to see Taylor and the doctor at the far end of the platform. The train rattled to a stop. The doors opened. People got on, people got off. Taylor and the doctor remained where they were and did not board. Ruby, peering round from her hiding place, saw the train depart and heard it rattle down the tunnel. And then she watched the two men climb down onto the track. Well, whatever next? Ruby darted onto the platform. Yes, there they were, picking their way along the tracks, heading into the dark of the tunnel. For a moment, Ruby thought of giving up. Heading back home to the Gledhills for a cup of tea, a good wash and scrub at the kitchen sink and forty winks. But then she remembered that Miss Elizabeth had vanished, really and truly vanished, and she knew she couldn't go to her grave with that a secret. She took a deep breath and then followed them, climbing down onto the track. Ruby inched ever closer, promising herself that she wouldn't do anything daft like trip and give herself away this time. But she hadn't counted on Taylor suddenly coming to a dead stop. She crashed into him. Taylor stared at her in horror. Ruby, what are you doing here? Young lady, said the doctor from behind him sternly, you were told to go home. A miss out on all the fun? Ruby shook her head. Not a chance. Fun, said Taylor. Ruby, you have no idea. This is dangerous. Have you been following us all day? said the doctor. Ruby sniffed. Might have, might not. The old man shook his head. I applaud your courage and your tenacity, but you are now in great peril. Peril, said Ruby, from Miss Elizabeth, but she's just a girl. She is by no means such a thing, said the doctor sternly. Now, go, at once, back to your home. Doctor, said Taylor slowly, I think it's too late. He was looking further down the tunnel. Ruby saw bright lights up ahead. Oh, is that a train? We have to get out of the way. It's uh, not a train, said the doctor. It's far more dangerous. Against the light up ahead, Ruby saw a silhouette moving towards them. Here, she said. Who's that? The figure drew closer. Ruby gasped. Mrs. Gledhill, the mistress, dressed in her furs as if she was on her way to afternoon tea. Her eye fell on Ruby, and her lips tightened. 
Oh my, I'm for the chop. Any second now, murmured the doctor. The bright lights ahead began to pulse, wildly, and a great howl started up, like wind was whistling down the tunnel, but with something weird, an eldritch quality underneath. Over this, the doctor cried, The time vortex! A trap, of course, but one for which I'm quite prepared. Stephen, take our young friend to safety! Taylor grabbed her hand and pulled her back down the track while the wind wailed behind them. Come on, Ruby, hissed Taylor. Hurry up! How about your friend? The doctor can take care of himself. Ruby let herself be pulled back to the station. Taylor climbed up onto the platform and helped her up. Ruby glanced back down the tunnel. The lights were still flashing down there, but he dragged her away, back up onto the street. When they were above ground again, she dug in her heels and stuck her hands on her hips. Now you can tell me what is going on! Dashing around London like this, who are these people? Taylor shook his head. I'm sorry, Ruby. I'll keep on, you know, until you tell me. The truth, mind, not some nonsense about German spies. Those aren't German spies, are they? Taylor sighed. No, they're not. But they're still after the plans for the Dreadnought. Do you know what that is, Ruby? I'm not daft. It's a big ship, isn't it? The big warship they're launching next month. If those plans got into the wrong hands, well, that would be a disaster, wouldn't it? All that time and effort and money for nothing. He looked taken aback. I might be a servant, but I'm not daft. He smiled. I can see that. Ruby, who are they then? We think... We think they're not from this world. Oh, what are they then? Martians? He blinked at her. She wasn't joking. I told you I'm not daft. My dad's a great reader and he reads to us. I know Mr Wells. Taylor looked embarrassed. Of course, look, I'm sorry... Not Martians, no, but... Well, we don't know where they're from exactly. We know they've stolen the plans for the Dreadnought, but we don't know why. And all this dashing around? We're able to track them, follow them around the city. We thought it might be a trap. He looked back towards the station. And it was. But we knew it was coming. Where's your friend now, Mr Taylor? I don't know. I think he'll be all right. Ruby started. Taylor stopped talking. Ruby, are you all right? I'm fine, she said gamely. But if you want to know why they want the plans, maybe we should just ask her. She pointed behind him to where Miss Elizabeth stood. She had a gun, of course, hidden in the sleeve of her coat. She gestured to them to leave the main road and head down a quiet alley. Taylor put himself between her and Ruby. All right, you have us. But at least explain why you're here and what you want. We have what we want, said Miss Elizabeth. We have the plans for the warship. Ruby shuddered. Cold eyes 
She'd known there was something funny about this whole family, something not right. What use is an Edwardian warship to you? You have time travel, dematerialization devices. Why a warship from 1906? Well, if it's not the warship they're after, said Ruby, must be something else. Miss Elizabeth stared at her. Of course, she said. The servants, always listening. We knew we couldn't have many, but it seems we had one too many. Ruby shivered. Taylor put more of himself between them, and she was grateful to him. But she's right, isn't she? You don't want the plans for themselves. The dreadnought starts an arms race, doesn't it? Leads to the bomb, to the Cold War, to even more sophisticated weapons. He glanced at Ruby. You didn't hear any of that. Oh, she said faintly. I'm good at pretending I haven't heard a thing. We want to stop the arms race before it ever starts, said Miss Elizabeth. Stop the spread of weapons before they can proliferate. Well, that's good, isn't it? said Ruby, uncertainly. I don't think so, said Taylor slowly. If the Germans get the plans for the dreadnought, there's no impetus for them to build their own ship, and the British won't then try to get back their advantage, and so on, and so on. Giving the Germans these plans will keep the balance of power, said Miss Elizabeth. There'll be no rapid technological advances leading to more and more advancements. I see, said Taylor, with no arms race, Earth remains comparatively undefended, and when the time comes, we can colonise with greater ease, said Miss Elizabeth. Inferior worlds are far easier to subdue when they're not defended. We'll fight, said Ruby stoutly. And you'll die, said Miss Elizabeth calmly, in your millions. We'll stop you, said Taylor. You're too late, said Miss Elizabeth. My commander has the plans. He's already on his way to pass them to his contacts at the German embassy. She giggled. Suddenly, as if she were once again the indulged daughter of a wealthy man. They've paid him awfully well. I shall be taking the grand tour next year. Ruby looked desperately up at Taylor, but he looked grim and uncertain. He didn't know what to do either. Miss Elizabeth advanced, no longer bothering to conceal her gun. And then there was a flash and a bang. And Miss Elizabeth cried out as smoke got in her eyes. Through the fog, Ruby heard a welcome voice. Quickly, cried the doctor. This way, we have very little time. Doctor, cried Taylor as they chased after him. What was that? Smoke and mirrors, dear boy, nothing more. <laughs> but enough to get you away. Are you both well? Hmm? Nobody harmed. We're fine said Ruby, but what happened to you? He chuckled. It takes more than a small local time vortex to trouble me, my dear. I was soon away from the lady of the house. Now, hurry, we don't have much time. Doctor, said Taylor bleakly, Gledhill has the plans. 
He's on his way to meeting his contacts right now. Indeed, said the doctor. And when they have the plans, the arms race is averted and these guests of ours, back in their own time, find this world a much easier proposition for colonization. Yes? Have I guessed correctly? Yes, said Taylor Riley. You have. So what are we going to do? Retrieve the plans before Gledhill reaches the German agents, said the doctor promptly. We can track him, as we tracked his wife. But there's very little time left. The aliens are holding open a temporal window during which they must deliver the plans. The window is about to close. We must hurry. Their progress was soon halted. Out they came onto the main road and into the middle of a busy, lively march. Votes for women, went the cry. Oh no, groaned Ruby as her sisters thronged past. This was where I was going this afternoon, my day off. Now I wish they were anywhere but here. Look, said Taylor, pointing across the road. Over there, Gledhill. Ruby peered through the crowd. There was the master inching his way through the procession. She glanced ahead. Two men waiting further down the road. Ruby tutted, the cheek of it, using a suffragette march as cover for this. His contact, said the doctor grimly. Taylor stepped forwards, but the women barred his path. Ruby at once knew she would be able to get through. Before Taylor could stop her, she was off, making her way steadily through the procession to the other side of the road. Someone put a sash on her. Someone shoved a banner into her hands. On she went, her eye firmly on Gledhill. He was getting ever so close to those men. Ruby looked back over her shoulder. Taylor and the doctor were nodding to her, waving her onwards. She drew closer and closer, got up alongside him. He had his eye on the contact. Nobody looked out for the servants, not really, particularly the women. When she was right beside, she shoved her banner down in front of his feet. Gledhill went flying, landing flat on the ground with a bump. Ruby, looking ahead, glared at the two men waiting and brandished her banner at them menacingly. They clocked her straight away and melted into the crowd. Ruby, bending down, rifled through the master's pockets and retrieved the plans. She stood up again and became aware of someone right beside her. A young woman, gawping. Did you just trip him up? Yeah. And pinch something from his pockets? Yeah. Good Lord! Good show! Who was he? Until now, said Ruby. He was my employer. I suppose that's me looking for a new position. Lorks, I'm glad you're on our side. The doctor and Taylor were soon by her side. She handed Taylor the plans, which he pocketed gratefully. Thank you, Ruby. We make sure these get home safely. Is that all done, then? said Ruby. The doctor had a funny little thing, no bigger than a pocket watch, hidden in his hands. The uh, temporal window, 
is closing. Look. He pointed down at Gledhill still lying there flat out. And then he vanished. The uh, temporal window has closed, said the doctor in a satisfied voice. So they're gone? Back to where they came from? Yes, that's right. And we saved the day? Taylor patted her arm. We saved the day. Come on, Ruby. Let's take you home. Home? Where's that exactly? What's the matter, Ruby? Taylor said. Yes, he was ever so nice again, but honestly, thought Ruby, some people didn't have any idea of how the other half lived. What's the matter? What's the matter? I've lost my position, haven't I? And there's no references because there's no family to give me them, and am I supposed to find another place without references? She clasped her hands together. What am I supposed to do now? Taylor stood open-mouthed, clearly unsure what to say in response to this outburst. And then, from behind them, a voice cried, Hi! Hi! Wait a moment! Ruby turned to look. It was one of the women from the march. Her eyes were shining. My goodness, she said, putting her hand on Ruby's arm. You certainly showed that fellow you meant business. Who was he? An agent provocateur said the doctor quickly, here to cause trouble. The woman's eyes flashed. Despicable, she said, simply despicable. Our young friend has shown a great deal of courage, said the doctor, but I fear that it may have cost this young lady her job. Well, that's hardly fair, is it? said the woman. She put her arm around Ruby and began to draw her away. Come on, my dear, we'll soon have you back on your feet. Ruby let herself be taken away. They were good, these women. They wouldn't let her down. At the corner of the street she looked back to see Taylor and the doctor saluting her. And then they were gone, vanished. And Ruby went on her way. Yeah.